What's up, creepy cats? We're back again, and the theme of this week is crimes that caused paranormal activity. The best of both creepy worlds. We're going to start with the crime aspect and talk about the infamous life of serial killer Herbert Baumeister. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, bitches. What's up, ghouls? <laughs> We're trying something a little different today. And we decided, since it's finally October, that we wanted to use a little background ambiance music. Uh, so in the background today, we have just, you know, a little um, cauldron bubbling. <laughs> <laughs> a little spooky woods music. Just to set the ambiance today. It's on YouTube. We hope it sounds good. And, like, you're out in, like, the haunted forest, like, standing outside the haunted mansion. Oh, yeah. Like, or, the movie. Yeah, or around a cauldron or something with your witches. And it's bubbling. And you're brewing a potion. Oh, love that. Like, Jackie. I think it's literally, like, Halloween ambiance. That was what it's called. Anyway, what so, are we doing today, girl? So today we're gonna start our crime that turns into a haunting. Oh, it yes. is murder that turns into spoop. Our favorite type of murder. <laughs> our favorite type of spoop. Spoopy murder. Yeah. Okay, so I'll do the murders. I'll do the crime, and so we're gonna be talking about Herbert. Baumeister, and I know that a lot of people have covered this. I know that I think morbid, and that's why we drink and crime junkies. All the girls, I love them all. Yeah, and I did listen to. I have listened to, and that's why we drink and listen to crime junkies both. And they, I listen to morbid. Yeah, they yeah. do a great job. But you know, I want to tell the story because. None of the other podcasts have told the story about the uh, hauntings that followed after this. So that's why. And it's like they go so hand in hand. It's like, it's just so. It's crazy. Yeah. So like, I we have to tell this And one. it's funny because me and Melissa heard um, the paranormal story before we heard the crime story. So then when we heard the crime story, we were like. Bitch, what? Girl. Yeah. So let's just. Jump right into this hoe. <laughs> so, Herb is Herb. <laughs> Let's jump right into this Damn Herb. It. I should have said that. <laughs> okay, so Herbert Baumeister, he was born on April 7th, 1947, in Indianapolis. He was the oldest of four children. And so he was pretty normal, they said, growing up. But, you know, it was one of those typical that he was normal as a kid, but as soon as he kind of reached that adolescent age, he started to become weird as fuck. As soon as he developed a personality. <laughs> yep, straight up weird as fuck. So that was when... Girl. So they said that young Baumeister at points had played with dead animals. They said at one point that Ew. there was a crow he claimed he had found on the side of the road and he put it on his teacher's desk. <laughs> uh -huh. He also had apparently 
urinated on a teacher's desk. Ew. Yeah. Okay, um, that's like... And I got that. Normal. I got that from every single source you'll look up. Wiki- <laughs> Wikipedia, uh, crime, crime junkie mentioned the fact that they said that he had a weird desire to know what urine tastes like. What? So he's like obs- oddly obsessed with piss. <laughs> <laughs> like he's obsessed with piss. To each their own. You can just listen to that cauldron bubble in the background. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. So, like, it's, okay, you can be weird, but you're a different type of weird if you're pissing on your teacher's desk, and you want to know what piss tastes like. Girl. Like, just piss in a cup and drink it, then. (laughs) Okay, so, I got this from all of, honestly, basically all of my research is actually from an article called Thought Co., so thank you, Thought Co., and so they said that, so... Like I said, as he went through adolescence, he was becoming a little strange. Um, Yeah, he had a dark sense of humor. They said that students claim that he didn't really seem to know right from wrong. He didn't like, it's not like he did these things and then kind of like felt bad or laughed. He just like didn't, he just did them. It was weird. Imagine someone just pissing on the teacher's desk and then they're just like looking around like... Yeah. Like, they don't know. They didn't think it was weird. They're just I mean, like... Uh, I don't even know. Oh, damn. The music just got spooky. <laughs> oh. Okay, so... Something foreboding is going to happen in this woods tonight. Yeah. So he got odd bitches. Because <laughs> of his odd behavior, the teachers actually reached out to his parents, obviously. They're like, we're sick of the piss. We're sick of the dead crows. <laughs> and so... Like, fix this. Yeah. So his parents took him for a medical evaluation in the 1960s. Um, and when they did, they found out that he was actually schizophrenic. But Oh, shit. Yeah. But the sad thing is that they never said that he got treatment for this. There's no... He never took medicine or had any sort of therapy done for this that oh, they know of. No. Now, what was the point of taking him? Why would you... Like, why? Because back in the 1960s, electroshock therapy was being used. Oh, you're right. So that could be a reason why they wouldn't have wanted to um, get treatment at the time. That's a good point. I take it back. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, he enrolled at Indiana University after he was being pressured by his father to kind of, you know, like, get your ass in gear. And so in 1965, he enrolled and dropped out after one semester. That was fast. He enrolled again in 1967. Oh. And dropped out after one semester. Back, back, back again. Girl. He met a girl, though, so at least that's good. This kind of seemed like this woman, from all accounts, seems to be the only person in his life that he ever had some sort of connection with. <laughs> um, her name was Juliana Sater. They just called her, uh, I believe, Julia or Julie, whatever. And... They had met when they were in high school. And one thing to note was that, I mean, you know, they began dating and they had a lot in common. One thing that brought them together was the fact that they were both extremely conservative politically and they were very religious. Hmm. Mm. They were had, they both were very entrepreneurial. <laughs> the Pittsburgh just jumped out when I tried to say that, but um, <laughs> they wanted to own their own business. Um, Did she know about the pissing? No. By all accounts, she uh, thought he was completely normal. Hmm. Like, nothing was wrong with him, you know? 
I guess. That's her I opinion. just wonder if that, you know, that's her opinion. <laughs> I mean, yeah. She saw what she wanted to see. Your truth. So in 1971, uh, so after four years after they met, they got married and they had three children within those next couple of years. Damn, get it. But do you want to hear some crazy shit that I heard this? I swear they said this on That's Why We Drink and in the Thought Co. article. Hmm. She said that they only had sex six times in their 25 years. And think, so they had three kids. So half those Three of them resulted in conception? Yeah. So you know she ain't never had no (laughs) orgasm. Oh, no. No head, no nothing. (laughs) Missionary. Could could you even imagine? If that. But what are the chances, though? What are the Mm. chances? Half... 50%. 50%. That thing, 50% of the time. You had sex your whole life, you got pregnant. More on that later. So, Yikes. Um, in 1971, Herbert's father actually forcibly admitted him to a psych ward, but there are... Is he old enough? Yeah, but they just said that he, like, kind of forced him to go in. There are no reasons why, and, like... Julie never reported anything being wrong with him, so it's, like, super odd. But, like, all the other articles note that it's weird. Like, why? There are no reasons why. Maybe he just had feeling deep down that something was wrong. Maybe something occurred between just Maybe. them two. Maybe. So he, he stayed. not want to say. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe as a father, he just wanted. I don't know. Whatever. He was there for two months, and then he left. His wife stayed by his side. She's a real one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's sweet. So, <laughs> um, following that, Herbert's father got him a job at the Indianapolis Star as a copy boy. Um, a what? A copy boy. So, the Indianapolis Star, I'm assuming, oh. like a newspaper back then? I thought you said coffee. I was like, no. oh, that's cool. Sorry, no, <laughs> coffee. It's like, like a barista. <laughs> no, like their bitch. He's an intern. Oh, okay, then... Uh, no. No, he was a gobby boy. Okay. And so, um, he really, I read the, like, the Thought Co. article that I read explained this a lot. They said that Herbert really, really strived for acceptance. Like, when he Aww. worked, he was a great worker, but he was the type of worker that he needed positive feedback to the point where it was annoying as fuck and it was childish. Oh, <laughs> because then it's like, bro, and his you're coworkers an adult, were, you don't need that validation. Exactly, his coworkers were annoyed. It was never like he was doing the job to just do the job. It was always because that he wanted some sort of validation at the end. And so he didn't make friends easily. It was annoying to other people because... People are just there to do their goddamn job. It's not a popularity contest or anything like that. So he didn't make friends easily. No, that is like kind of sad, but then it's also just like It is sad. I have the same. Yeah, you're right. And so he ended up leaving that job at the Indianapolis Star and got a job working at BMW. Oh, that's pretty lit. Mm Mm-hmm. So the funny thing is that when he started working there, he took on this different personality instead of being like more of a quiet type who would do anything for like acceptance he started to become more of that like bossy kind of sassy on your boss character interesting he, yeah like you you ain't you have no type of authority who the 
you think you are. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you new to this job? Why is yeah. that the new personality you're going to, like, exactly. <laughs> turn into? Yeah, so he would, like, you know, be snippy with his, bo- with his co-workers and lash out. Like, literally, it... Th- I read that it was almost like he was playing a part just from something that you would see on a TV character and you would just emulate trying to be like, I'm this bitch-ass boss, uh, you know, big dick energy in the office. But So, once again, you feel bad for him, but once again, he's not making friends because of his own behavior. It's like, truly, does he have a personality at this point? Okay, and so listen to this. This is the only place I I think I heard this. And this is, like I said, directly from ThoughtCo, that article. This is a direct quote from them. So thank you. One year, he sent a Christmas card to everybody at work that pictured him with another man, both dressed in holiday drag. In the early 70s, few saw that as hum- few saw humor in that. Talk around the water cooler was that Baumeister was a closet homosexual and a nutcase. End quote. And then I wrote... Yeesh, in capital letters. <laughs> Yeesh. Oh, man. I mean, there's nothing... First of all, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being gay, so what does that have to do with it? But, I mean, I guess in the 70s, everybody was, like, annoying. That's and just all I'll say about that. Remember how I told you about him and his wife only had sex? Oh. Girl. Like, uh-huh. I feel like definitely he's yeah. a closet homosexual. But work that drag hunty bitch. Yeah, he was into the drag scene. He was like, what's up with it? But then it's just like, I mean, if that's you, that is a little odd, like, to send that as a Christmas picture, especially if, like, you're not. Yeah. Like, what did his wife, I just want to know what his wife, like, did she, but who was the other guy? I don't think the wife ever saw it, and I never saw anything about that. Like I said, the only place I saw that was ThoughtCo. Interesting. I wonder where they got that little. So... Like I said, um, he was wrecking a BNY. Uh, during, I know I said he had a family before, but it was I'm sorry, it was actually when he was working at BNY. But BMY was that he had he had his three children, uh, a daughter Marie, a son Eric, and another daughter Emily. He actually was doing. But had he still met his wife before that? He had kids with his wife. Yeah. What do you mean? But didn't she just say he had his kids when he worked at BM yeah, or whatever? Yes, but he had been with his wife oh, since yes, college. Since, okay, since okay, college. Yeah, yeah. Like they they were together they've for a together long a time. Okay. They didn't have kids till like nine years after their marriage. Oh, okay. So like, they've been through a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they were married for like nine years and then they had kids after he started working this better job. What? That's so weird though. Like I mean, I he guess had never if they're religious, like they could say no, not Well, they then. got married not that long after they met, so no. But for no point if they ain't fucking. Well, no, yeah. there is a point, but like you know what I mean. Most a lot of the times back then, yeah, they you got married sex, yeah. so you could have sex and have a family early on. That was what a lot of people claimed to do. So, like crazy. Yeah. So after ten years working at BMW, he what Herbert was promoted. So yay. But he was fired very shortly after oh. for, I wrote, make Jackie guess. Um, coming to the office and drag. No. Another old habit of his. Oh, my God. Is it pissing? Yeah, bitch. No. I kind of thought he'd be done with that. No, he's pissing. What? Hide your kids. Hide your wife. He's pissing. 
How? In what capacity? How do you get fired for... How? He pissed on a letter and sent it to the governor of Indiana. He, Wait, what? He pissed, like I said, the, the, like this was, again, from the article. He pissed on a letter and sent it to the governor of Indiana, and they said that... Um. <laughs> They also, at one point in time at BMW, someone had pissed on a manager's desk. So after that, they put two, two, they put two and two together that it was him. Oh so, my God. What about that? Like, Yeah. So Juliana. So odd. Mm-hmm. That is so odd mm-hmm. to piss on a letter. Could you even imagine getting it in the mail and just Hell being no. like, <laughs> just opening this and being like this piss-stained letter? Like, who is this even from? <laughs> and just like tear it to shreds. Thank you. Oh, man. That's so weird. Just so, Juliana before was like, hell yeah, he, she wasn't, she wasn't working. She was staying home and taking care of the kids. But now after he got fired, she had to go back to work. And when I'm sure, and I, they, I'm sure she asked why he got fired. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I pissed. No, she was a conservative. <laughs> she was like, he's she like was I pissed con- on everything at work. No, she was conservative and submissive. She wasn't the type she to ask questions. Ask. And so she just went back to work. They kind of just switched roles. She went back to work, and he took care of the kids. She's like, it's my turn to piss. (laughs) I'll get a job, and I'll piss on my own paperwork. I'll get a boss of my own, and I will piss on her desk, and I will piss on everything, goddammit. Equal rights. Yeah, we will equally piss in this relationship. (laughs) <laughs> we're both pissing in this relationship for nothing <laughs> oh my god i never thought we'd get this point oh man okay sorry that's just such we lost so many that's just so i'll never get over that that's okay. so weird to me so she went back to work he took care of the kids all accounts he never had any problems with the kids but at this time like he started to feel pretty shitty <laughs> and so he after some self-reflection <laughs> after he realized what he had done yeah he looked at a bottle of piss <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'd agree so he this is kind of sad like he took care of the kids but he was starting to like drink Hella. No. And so, he started to secretly visit gay bars. His wife never knew. Yeah, because she's working and mm -hmm. he's not. People started to see him around these gay bars. Hmm. So, in uh, 1985, late 1985, uh, Herbert actually got a little slap on a wristy wrist because he was involved in a hit and run while he was drunk driving. Ooh. And then six months later, Six months later, this was from ThoughtCo. I was like, I need more background on this, but I couldn't find anything else. Mm. He was charged with stealing a friend's car and conspiracy to commit theft. But apparently he got out of this. Hmm. Mm. I'm like, who is even his friend? Exactly. Probably someone he met at the gay club. (laughs) Yeah. So he kind of got his ass in gear a little bit. He started working at a local thrift store. He called 
when he was working there, he kind of got an idea. And he was like, bitch, I'll start my own thrift store. And so he did. And oh, that's he, a good idea. He decided to start his own. But instead of just being like little, little hand-me-down clothes, he was like, we'll do clothes, we'll do goods, and we'll do furniture. More of like what we know Goodwill to be. Wow. And that's he nice. also decided to donate some of the money to nonprofit organizations with the money that he was getting. Okay, Herb. This shit blew up. A little philanthropy. Yeah. This shit blew up. Within one year, he became so successful that they opened another one. They literally went from rags to riches to bags and bitches. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) He can piss wherever he wants now. He can piss on his own desk. He's the boss. (laughs) You already know, bitch. And so it was, like I said, so successful. They ended up opening up another one. Wow. So they ended up going from there. They bought a very big property called Fox Hollow Farm in 1991. And it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. It's a million dollar semi mansion. Everything. It was a farm, so stable. A huge wow. indoor pool, which will be significant. So at this point, the stores are balling out. <coughs> Julian is. The wife is working there, too. But it turned out that when they were working there together, he started treating her just like that typical role where he was being a total prick, bossing her around just like all the other employees. So they were kind of on and off. And some of the articles I read said that because they were on and off, she would go stay at her mother's, at Herbert's mother's house. Other accounts, like Crime Junkie, said that she would be visiting a lake with the kids a lot. Either way, her and the kids were leaving very, very frequently on the weekends and just leaving because of, you know. they. So I'm sure they're only together because of their religion at this point. Mm -hmm. So he, with the mansion, it was really dirty. They didn't really, like, unpack, which was weird. (laughs) But one thing that is very notable was that the pool room was filled with alcohol. That was Herbert's room. And he (laughs) decorated the pool room with mannequins that were posed to be looking like they were having a pool party. Okay. Mannequins, bitch. That is so weird. Like, yeah. I I don't like mannequins by any means. But them sitting around the pool, like, I would feel absolutely... No comfortability getting in that pool. Yeah. Just like peeking my head up and seeing mannequins. I feel outside. like it's even creepier because you go underwater. I feel like I'd come back up and they'd yeah. be posed different. Ew. I would just like, yeah, think that they were watching me the whole time. Ew, it's creepy. It is so creepy. I don't like that. Like, he is just weird. Yeah. So, by 1994, you know, the family's living there. Um, in 1994, this is notable, the son, Eric, was playing in the backyard, and he came along uh, a human skull. Interesting. He showed it to his parents, and Herbert said that his father, who was, I believe, a doctor of some sort, bones, and so Herbert blamed it on his father's research, and said he found it in his old garage, and just buried it <laughs> out there. And his wife just believed him. So, also around that time, 
I would have investigated that. Yeah. I would have, like, you know, I would have sent that to basically forensic files and told them to do something with it. Yeah. So let's bring it all home. So also around that time, 1994, a private investigator named Virgil Vandergriff in Indianapolis was working on the investigation of over 10 gay men who had gone missing from the late 70s until the late 90s. Or, oh, well, wow. Excuse me, early 90s. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. All of the men, like I said, were gay men who frequently attended nightclubs and gay bars. And the investigators were putting two and two together that they were going missing. Um, back then, it really wasn't that big of a deal because they were gay, which is fucked up. But because it was so many of their families complaining that they were going missing, that the private investigator was, like, being hired, like, it would become by multiple people. Like, friends of a friend. Because the gay community is not big in cities yeah. like that in that time. So If, if friend- it was, like, one white woman, they would have been, like... We need 50 people down here immediately. And girl, you know it. So the gay community was close. And so they were telling each other. And there was like magazine articles being published that there was someone going around and killing gay men. So it got to the point where, uh, like I said, Detective Vandergriff, a private investigator, was put on the case. Uh, so he was, he was contacted by numerous parents of the victims, friends of... People who had gone missing, let's not say victims, people who had gone missing, Yeah. saying that someone had gone missing and they had no clue and just that they had been out the night before and never seen again. So, the nothing, there were no real updates. Like I said, an article was published, I believe, in a gay magazine, <clears throat> kind of just like a little warning. But besides that, there was no real updates. Like, no one was really putting two and two together that... Someone but there's literally could be a serial killer in, on the loose. Indianapolis, exactly. <laughs> Detective Vandergriff really came together in 1994 when he was contacted by a man. Let's call him Tony. Hi, Tony. Hey, boo. <laughs> he claimed that his partner slash friend, 1994, we can't say, <laughs> was murdered by the serial killer because he had gone missing and never returned. Wow. But he has Quite the little story. Honey has the story, and Tony, I want to hear it. Tony's not no average bitch. Tony didn't come to play. No. Huh. He knew something was up. One night, he was at a gay bar, and he noticed that a man was staring at the picture of his friend slash partner, Roger Goodlett. And he's looking at him, and he's like, something is not right. Dude is looking at him way, way too close looking at the picture. So something in him is like, no. So he starts to talk to this man. He's smart. mm Mm-hmm. And ballsy. I was just going to say that. And so the man said that his name was Brian Smart. He was a landscaper from Ohio. So they keep talking. Tony kind of, you know, brings up the missing, the picture, he doesn't really say anything. He's like, oh, what's up with that, huh? <laughs> that picture you've been looking at. Mm-hmm. Mr. quote-unquote Brian Smart says nothing, but he does invite Tony back to what he says, his, the house he's currently working on and living at at the moment. He says there's a pool and they should go for a little swim. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So Tony agrees because he's like, what up with you? And Ew, I'd be scared, though. <laughs> but you have to know. True. So. That's like a scary movie. 
Literally. Straight up. Literally. Like, and he noticed that, he noticed that Tony had, or I'm sorry, Tony noticed that quote unquote Brian had Ohio plates, which agreed with what he said, that he was from Ohio. So as they approached the house, Tony noticed that it was a huge farm and he couldn't really tell because it was dark. He wasn't from Indianapolis, so he didn't know the area, but he didn't notice that when they pulled up, there was a sign that just said something, something farm. He knew things were weird as fuck the minute they came up because they went in like through a side door and when they went to the pool it was weird as hell and there were mannequins all oh over the place. okay so we know where he is mm-hmm. at fox hollow and he's with mr herb mm-hmm. for now brian's aka brian smart brian smart offered tony a drink but tony was like "Mm, yeah do not take that roofied drink (laughs) he did not and so brian smart was surprised and was like uh 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 and excused himself for a minute (laughs) he was like take this drink it's piss (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry the piss jokes will not stop in this episode i'll leave them be for next episode but they will not stop in this one oh my gosh so he came back and he was like talkative as hell, which he wasn't before. So Tony was like, mm, you knew Coke or something. Like, I was just going to say it. Did he just like Tony do thought, a line? Tony thought for sure he did some sort of drug. <laughs> he <laughs> he thought. He's like, give me some. Mm-hmm. And so here's just a direct quote from Thoughtco of what was going on in the pool room. At some point, Smart brought up autoerotic asphyxiation, receiving sexual pleasure while choked or being choked, and asked Tony to do it to him. Tony went along and choked Smart with a hose while he masturbated. Smart then said it was his turn to do it to Tony. Again, Tony went along and as Smart began choking him, it was obvious that he was not letting go. That is so, like, Tony pretended to pass out, and Smart released the hose. When he opened his eyes, Smart became rattled and said he was scared just because Tony had passed out. End quote. Okay, Tony has some balls. The biggest. So he was like, yeah, I, I bet, yeah, you were just scared. Okay, I bet that was why. Yeah, like, oh, you just tried to murder me. So at this point, it was just awkward, and they were kind of just like, eh, okay, <laughs> can you drop me off? <laughs> yeah, he's like, um, I'm ready to go home now. Yeah, he did. Smart just, what? Smart just ended up actually taking Tony home. He was and, like, that was so uncomfortable, I can't even kill you right now. And they just kind of agreed, like, okay, we'll meet up again. What? Oh, I would have been like, let's agree to never speak of this again. Mm -hmm. And flashback. Now, Tony just told that story to Detective Virgil Vandegriff. And he was like, oh, bitch. So the two (laughs) of them together call Brian Smart and arrange a meeting. Oh, that was quick. Virgil Vandegriff, the detective, sets up like that they were going to follow Tony and get to it. But unfortunately... Brian Smart never showed up when they went to meet. Uh, I couldn't really find out where, like, if there was ever a place, like, specified that they were meeting up, but he just never showed up either way. Dang it. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe he felt weird. Maybe he was like, I've never met someone twice. I don't know. True. Maybe he's like, he's on to me. He didn't show up. This really fucked 
this really sucked for uh fucked fucking suck <laughs> for detective <laughs> because he had nothing at this point all he had was one person's story as much as he believed it and as credible as it was because it related to all the other gay men going missing he had nothing else they couldn't can't have- they go to the house they took him to the house. They actually took Tony to the house. Yeah. But or they tried to take him to expensive areas, but because he had never been to Indianapolis, he couldn't find it. And it was dark. Erg. And the guy was driving and he he just didn't know and mm. they had nothing. So a year went by. Damn it. Uh-huh. Poor Tony. Tony was probably like poor fuck. detective Vandergriff. So, Imagine, too, you were, like, chilling with dude all night. <laughs> Listen how wild this is. A year passes. It's pretty sad. No updates. Tony is out living his life. He goes to an, uh, he's just spending the, you know, chilling at another local gay bar. Guess who he sees? <gasps> Mr. Brian what? Smart. I was going to say, what was his fake name? I can't even remember. Herbert Baumeister, a.k.a. Brian Smart. Yeah. And Brian was like, oh, hell no. And he was like, he he left. But Tony ended up getting his license plate numbers and wrote them down. Because Tony is like. The police department just might as well hire Tony. Tony is like, I'm a police officer. You're not getting away with this. Tony is doing the damn thing. He is. Get it, Tony. mm -hmm. So they run the license plate that Tony ended up writing down. And it comes back to Herbert Baumeister. Oh. The owner of Save-A-Lot, the huge company in Indianapolis, the thrift store. Mr. Thrifty. Mm-hmm. And so smart. Mr. Ryan Smart wasn't so smart. Mm-hmm. He does, like, that just says, he just has some balls for doing this all basically in the same area when he knows that, that um, Tony was friends yeah. with one of his victims. So it's just like... Mm-hmm. He's not being that smart about it. No. <laughs> so another detective on the case, uh, Mary Wilson, working with Vandergriff, she worked with Tony, and so she actually, once he was able, once they got the license plate, they were like, why don't we just go to the save lot store and question Herbert? Yeah. We have a license plate, so what the hell? Get him. They went to the store and they asked him some basic questions. He was like, he denied everything. He had no knowledge of the missing man, no knowledge of Tony, the night that they had of together. Of course he doesn't, yeah. And he wanted nothing to do with it. He was like, I don't even care. You're not searching my car, not searching my vehicle. Oh, nothing. It's a little sus yeah. to have nothing to do with it. Yep. Mr. Baumeister was like, nothing to do with it again detectives had nothing else um they ended up going to his wife so at this point it's like 1995 um 1996 and his wife when they go to her is actually in the they she had just filed for a divorce oh womp yes why because they don't have sex (laughs) Exactly. Uh, just because uh, things that the business weren't looking so great. He was, again, drinking. Um, I think that they weren't having as much money as it appeared. So it was just a lot for her. She couldn't really deal with it. And so Detective Wilson just went to the, knocked on her door. 
And um, Crime Junkie actually said that when detectives knocked on her door, she said, your husband is being investigated for, quote, homosexual homicide, unquote. That's annoying. Rude as hell. They're so Ignorant rude. as hell. Like, yeah. It's what just does that like, matter? What, literally, who even cares? They're like, oh, um, your husband's gay. <laughs> Basically. But he's also a murderer. But that yeah. doesn't matter as much because he's gay. It's like, okay, I literally do not care about that. Exactly. <laughs> so she didn't believe this. She was like, no, we're conservative. We're not about that life. Yeah, Neither she's like, um, obviously, he believes in God. <laughs> We've had sex in the dark six times, missionary, <laughs> two minutes. No. In the dark. No. She's Fully not- closed. <laughs> So she also said, no, you're not investigating the property. No. Again, they were like, this sucks. We have nothing. We can't get a search warrant. We have no evidence. But. Which it's like, how do you have no evidence when someone is full on telling you? Yeah. That this person tried to strangle them basically to death, which I feel like that in and of itself would be a charge. Think of if he was making it all up. (sighs) One person's testimony can't do that much as whatever i know but still his wife is thinking about it more she's kind of like i do remember two years ago in 1994 that eric found that skull in the backyard yeah i was just gonna say that that was weird and all of those weekends we spent away so she actually decides to call detectives back and she said she tells them she calls a lawyer first. She tells the lawyer about That's the skull. That's a good idea. <laughs> she tells the lawyer about the skull, and it's kind of like, eh, 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 eh. don't tell anybody. <laughs> but they do. <laughs> of course. They end up calling detectives, and they finally do just come clean about what, the skull that they found, the fact that she was gone so many weekends, the fact that, you know, it, it could have Her been. husband's weird. <laughs> yeah, straight up. And he pisses on everything. (laughs) He's like a damn dog. So in 1996, detectives finally were able to search the property at the Weiss. She said it was okay. So they did just like the first day, they kind of did just a general walkthrough. And they literally found fucking bone fragments like by the patio where the children were playing. What? He didn't even try to hide it. No. Yeah, and the wife was like, no, I mean, I'm not really... There was one skull, but I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah. The next day, they did a full-on, full-fledged search, and there were bones everywhere. Everywhere. Wow. Spooky skeletons everywhere. <laughs> sorry, that was messed up to the victims, but sorry. So, uh, like I said, according to the Thought Co. article, they found over... 5,500 bone fragments, teeth, pieces of bone, everything. Ew. So, all in all, they had 11 bodies of 11 men. And it wasn't anything like decomposed, just bones. Wow. Um, Victims included Stephen Hale, Richard Hamilton, Manuel Resendez, um, Mr. Goodlet that I mentioned before, which is Tony's significant other, um, all just younger gay men from local bars between the ages of like 25 or I'm sorry, like honestly 20 years old to probably like 
um, 38, 40. That's so sad. Very sad. I hate Herbert. And here, here, honestly, this is annoying as fuck. The news broke because it was huge. Like, they had helicopters searching over. People were investigating this huge farm. The guy owned the Save-A-Lot stores in Indianapolis. They knew it was his farm. It was a huge story then. So, when the news broke, they broke the news before anyone could even find out where Herbert was. Oh, um, my God. His wife had, like, gotten the kids back in the days before, kind of Idiots. prepping for this, which he handed over. But they didn't They didn't know where he was at this moment. Okay. He's like, okay, cool. I'll mm-hmm. go on the run. Yep. So, they couldn't find him. Uh, but in on July 3rd, his deceased body was found in his car. What? In Ontario, Canada. I don't remember that happening in this story. He was shot in the head, and he left a three-page letter saying that the reason why he had committed suicide was because of the failing business, the failing marriage that was on and off with his conservative-ass wife, (laughs) and nothing to do with the bodies buried in his backyard. Yeah. Yep. So you couldn't just explain that? Nothing to do with possibly being homosexual. Nothing to do with possibly murdering all these people. Nothing to do with... With anything at all. Nothing. He was just going to do it. So all in all, 11 bodies were found at the farm. Eight ended up being identified. After his death, they ended up putting two and two together that he was also the I-70 Strangler. What? So, remember how we said that with Tony, he had um, attempted to give him a drink. And that he strangled him. So, all of the men had been strangled and then dumped on I-70. And um, so, the I-70 Strangler... So, it's like the same... The same person. But the I-70 Strangler took place um, before... All of the bodies were dumped before Herbert actually ended up having Fox Hollow Farms. So that's why he, he when he was an early oh. serial killer, he would dump the bodies. When he first lost his job, he was finding young men, strangling them, killing them, who knows where, dumping the bodies along I-70. Then he got rich and famous. His store blew up. He got a Fox Hollow Farm. That was when he could leave the bodies on his property. So, 11 bodies were found, but there were those I-70 Strangler killings, so he could be up to 20 killings. So, that's pretty crazy. And after his wife, even though they can't confirm for sure that he's the I-70 Strangler, his wife could provide receipts showing that at that time he was driving along I-70 and going back and what he claimed, going, you know, for work, what he claimed. And somebody who had lost um, a friend to the I-70 Strangler said that after the news broke that Herbert was indeed the man who he had seen leaving with his friend who uh, was found dead due to asphyxiation and being strangled. He's a piece of shit. So like I said, he definitely was, like I said, they found all these bodies on Fox Hollow Farm. There's no for real proof because back then they didn't have DNA to connect that he was the I-70 Strangler. But it's obvious. They were all 
strangled to death. They were all younger gay men that were in the Indianapolis area that were young gay men disappearing from gay bars. Tony, smart as hell. When you think about it, Tony Tony is the whole reason why this case was solved. Was because he was able to go there. Without Tony, would this case have even been solved? Imagine how many other victims there could have been. It seems like the detectives working with... Detective Vandergriff and Detective Mary Wilson. It seems like besides those detectives, no one really gave a fuck because the men were gay. Which is annoying. And that's kind of where our story ends. He was a serial killer and so sad that he ended up committing that's suicide. That's so annoying to The me. families have no closure. Yeah, none whatsoever. I mean, you know, the families all kind of know, but back then, like I said, there's no DNA testing. There's no real connections. It's pretty obvious all the bones that they could connect were found on his farm. Oh my god, I just thought of something I forgot to say. Crime Junkies mentioned the fact... I'm sorry, this is so random. But (laughs) Crime Junkies mentioned the fact that at one point when he had worked a job, he had kept a cake in his desk and he didn't eat it and someone asked him why and he said he just wanted to watch it deteriorate. What? Yeah. Like, no joke, that is just what a serial killer would so, say. Like, when you just think of, like, something a serial killer would say, that would be He's disgusting. It. So, yeah, why did so we tell you... Weird. Why did we tell you this story? Why did we tell you all about these stranglings, these young, poor gay men, and, you know, being murdered in, in this weird, creepy pool with mannequins? Because there's a haunting that follows. There and it is. happens in the pool. <gasps> Ew, it's so creepy, and I can't wait to tell it. He's such a piece of shit, I'm sorry. It's not that I can't wait to tell the story, because it's a good story. But it honestly is like, yeah, the crime story is juicy in and of itself, but the paranormal story is so creepy. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's just so much, uh, it's just him being a piece of shit, Mm -hmm. even in the afterlife. Like, it is sad that he was clearly, clearly a schizophrenic, but... It doesn't excuse any of it. It no. It does excuse his behavior because he. That's probably why he did a lot no, of it. It doesn't excuse and it. It no. makes it understandable. Yeah. And yeah like you're more right. like but okay. But you could have gotten on medicine later, not in the sixties, but maybe in the eighties, the nineties. Yeah. Something. He was intelligent enough to know it was wrong. And he committed suicide, so clearly he knew something was wrong when they found all the bodies there. So clearly he knew. That's the proof. I mean, he could have been, like, homosexual, too, and literally just not murder people. 100%. <laughs> like, there was... homosexual. I'm His sorry. wife clearly didn't really care if mm-hmm. she was going out of town, so... I'm so excited for you to tell the paranormal part next. Oh, my gosh. Mm. It's creepy. I'm excited, too. Tell us... We'll be back, guys. I think we're going to do this sound again i really hope that you guys like this sound in the background i they really can hear like it, it like well i hope they can hear it well yeah the crickets in the background i think it's super cute it makes my mood super spook especially now that jackie's gonna tell our first little spooky story yeah haunting. i can't wait i'm excited it's gonna be creepy yay okay. thanks for tuning in guys and stay creepy stay safe And we will see you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at Ew That's Creepy Podcast or send us an email at 
you, that's creepypodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.